Good morning, everybody. Um, it's good to be here in New Jersey. It's good to be enjoying your weather. Um, I, uh, no, I like this weather. In Haiti, it's, it's hot and hotter where I live. So we kind of like the opportunity to put on a jacket once in a while. I'm, I'm enjoying this. As long as we don't, you know, all get snowed in, we can't go anywhere. But, but this part I like. Uh, I do want to say thank you right off the bat for this church, for your support here, for Pastor Craig and uh, been helping us down there actually for a long time. And you don't know it, maybe, but you will one day. I uh, remember Jesus in Matthew 5 talked about uh, people that fed him when he was hungry, people that clothed him when he was naked, and they said, when, Lord? I think that can happen directly. You can help somebody and not realize you're doing something for the Lord. But that can also happen indirectly because everything is connected. Um, it's not, uh, what I'm doing is, is part of the body. Okay, what you're doing, if you're doing it right, you're part of the body. God called us to be a body, that we work together. So everything we do, we got different functions and different parts, but we all are working together. And there's no way, I have never thought even for a split second that I would be able to be in Haiti on my own. And, well, we don't need anybody back home. We need people's help. So we all need each other. So anyway... Uh, I want to say a little prayer again and just pray that God blesses this time. It's been a good service so far. I don't want to ruin it here. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I want the Lord to use this time. I don't want this to be just a concentration on missions and Fred, Joel, we say Fred in Haiti means brother. Already mentioned uh, for one to be thinking about, don't just let him say, well, I can just uh, turn my little mental mental radio onto another station because I'm not interested in missions. This, it'll be more than missions. Pray that God uses this. Wouldn't that be something? I think every single time we come sit in church and hear a message, you have a decision to make, whether it's conscious or unconscious, but you're going to decide what you're going to do with what you've heard. You're going to do something with it or do nothing with it or not even think about it again. James talked about a man that goes and looks in the mirror, walks away and forgets what he saw. So, I want to be challenged today. You can't be challenged. You're the one talking. That's what we want to try to avoid here. <laughs> we want to try to uh, let the Lord use this opportunity. And uh, I'm just going to break wide open. Forget me. You don't like me. That's fine. Uh, Jesus didn't call you to be like me. He called you to be like him. Uh, you don't have to look at other Christians. Well, I don't like the way they are. Jesus called you to be like him. All right. Father, just ask that you will take this time. You are an awesome God. We want just a tiny glimpse this morning. Thank you for this church, for the people that are here this morning. Lord, I pray that you will use this moment, that this will be a divine time in you, that your Holy Spirit will move freely in this place, and in our hearts, that our ears will be open to hear, and our hearts open to receive, Father. That seeds planted this morning will be in good ground. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, can I relax a little? The more I relax, the better it'll be. <laughs> when I first went to Haiti, oh, I, got, I keep thinking I got to go back to the mic, and it's right there. The, the, when I first went to Haiti, I didn't have any gray hair yet. And, and I used to think when I was young, I was going to be proud to have gray hair. Because I think gray hair, uh, that's wisdom hair. I earned these hairs. I fought for these gray hairs. And I'm going to share one of them with you right now. A gray hair. 
we were in Haiti one time, and we were just walking, and there's a man. Don't say, well, I don't care about Haiti. Just forget that part. There's going to be a lesson here that applies anywhere you're at. And, and, and some of you are going to go, when? I know exactly what you're talking about. We were just walking down the village, and we came to this uh, hut. We had all these kids with us. When you walk around in Haiti, usually it's always a spectacle. That's kind of neat. You don't get that here so much. I, you just walk around, nobody pays attention. That's nice sometimes. But if you're trying to go out and invite people to church or share something, it's nice when they just come running up to you. And so we're walking down, and there's this big herd of kids walking with us, and all these people walking with us. And we just came to a hut, and we sat down. They had borrowed chairs to give everybody places to sit. I had four people there from America. And so we sat down at the hut. This is a mud hut. There's no electricity out here. There's nothing. Nobody's sitting inside watching TV. Uh, nobody's busy doing something else. Everybody's glad to be there. Now, we weren't planning a service or anything. This is just a visit. Okay? This is not a planned service. No flyers. No radio advertisement. No plugs on TV. We're just, it's just a day. It's just another day. And it's just another walk. But we're walking down and we get to this place. And we're kind of tired. We've been walking a while. So we sat down. And by now there's... I don't know, maybe 50, 60 kids and people, parents, and everybody just, we're all hanging around talking. And I don't know how, I don't even remember it. It's part of what's awesome. I don't remember how this even started, but for some reason, somebody started singing. Now, that's not unusual in Haiti. All the time they sing. But somebody started singing. And it wasn't like the normal singing. It was like God was in. And the person even that started singing didn't know. They weren't planning anything either. Nobody planned anything. But all of a sudden, for some reason, a couple other people knew the song. Next thing you know, we're all just singing. Well, before long, it started getting serious. Like, whoa, we're not just singing to, you know, to make ourselves happy. This is getting, the Lord is in this. I mean, we started feeling like the Lord was moving, and we're like, ooh. So we're singing, we're clapping. One guy goes, he grabs a bucket, flips it upside down, starts playing it for a drum. Uh, another person with a bottle and start chinking, chinking, chinking. Next thing you know, we have the orchestra. And we were singing, and it just went on. Well, that song ran out. Well, then what do you do? Well, we didn't have to, somebody else just came right in with another song, and you couldn't have done it better if you'd planned it. It was a medley. And the next thing you know, another person sang. Then another, and it just kept going around from, and we didn't have any gaps or breaks in between. And I totally felt transported. I thought, man, there is nowhere on the planet Earth I would rather be than right here, right now, in this moment. There is nowhere I would rather be. I feel so absorbed in God's presence that I don't even, and I don't mean I was all goofy and spacey. I just mean I was at, I, it was a very sober Joy and peace, it just flooded my being, flooded all that I am. And I'm sitting there and soaking all this in and, and just feeling, I mean, I, I don't know. It's like you went into another dimension or something. And the guys that were with us felt the same thing. And they said, man. So we got done. I don't know, this lasted. Well, well, there were some women coming from some prayer meeting that they had had somewhere. They heard us back behind the trees and they're singing. They came back to look at what was going on. And they just joined in. So next thing you know, we had a big mob of people, and we're just all singing out there, and nobody's in charge. Well, it was so awesome, and after maybe an hour or so, and kind of started to wind down, and we started heading home, and the four Americans we had with us were like, that's the most awesome thing 
I have ever experienced. That is the most awesome thing I have ever experienced. I have never, ever, ever been in church anywhere and ever felt that way. So on and on they went talking about how awesome it was. And and they said, we don't know what else is on the schedule, but we want to go back there again before we leave. We have a week here. This is Wednesday. We leave Saturday. Somewhere between now and Saturday, we want to go back to that place again. Now, why do you think they wanted to go back to that place again? They wanted to feel that what they felt again. They wanted to experience that experience again. And how many of y'all know it never, ever, ever, ever happens that way? How many of you know that you try to repeat it, you try to copy it, it, it just ain't going to happen? And it's so funny. And I told them, and I think they thought, man, Ed, don't speak that. You're being negative. I said, I'm not being negative. I'm being realistic. I'm sharing my gray hair with you. We can go back. But it's not going to be the same thing that you experienced the first time. So we went back, and we were all prepared. This time, one guy had his guitar with him. Another guy had a tambourine. We were all ready to go. And we went back, and guess what? It just wasn't there. We were there. But not that move, not that holy wind that blew through there the last the, a couple of days ago. And this time it was mostly us. Why is that? And I thought about that. Lord, we, we just want to experience you again. Why? Why can't we repeat it like that? Why can't we duplicate it? You know what I believe is? The reason, the main reason we can't, because the more time we have to get ready and prepare, the more flesh we have time to let get in. We start planning it. And there's nothing wrong with planning. But, but, but somehow there's a delicate balance of, of letting God break loose on something and when we plan it. And that's why a lot of people don't do a lot of things for God. That's not just Haiti. That's anywhere. The more time you have to sit and worry and think, sometimes you'll be totally paralyzed. All right. There's a scripture I want to read here. It's in Matthew chapter 9. That's why I have these. Anybody know who wrote the book of Matthew? Just want to test your Bible knowledge. Okay, who wrote the book of Acts? Yeah, that's a little harder. It's not named after the guy that wrote it. Okay, Matthew chapter 9, starting in verse, and this is something you've heard probably, but Bear with me. In verse 35, And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, this is Jesus, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and they were helpless and like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, But the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. There's all kind of wonderful lessons there. But right off the bat, there's a biggie. When Jesus saw the multitude, he had compassion. And for me, a lot of times, and for humans, when we see a multitude, a lot of times we feel excitement. If you're having a big church service and a whole bunch of people came... We get excited. Wow, look at all the people that turned out. Or we're having a revival. Look at all the people that showed up for revival. 
But Jesus looked out and had compassion because he saw a multitude of people. He saw a multitude of people that were like sheep that had no shepherd. They had nobody leading them. They had no spiritual guidance. They had no spiritual foundation that were lonely, that were out in the cold. He said the harvest is ripe, but the laborers are few. There's a big, huge harvest here, but there's not many laborers to go out and work in that harvest. And he didn't say for you, just go into the harvest. He said, pray that the Lord will send laborers into the harvest. And that's a big difference. There's one thing to just say, oh, I think that means we're supposed to go. That means we're supposed to pray. And if the Lord sends you, then you go. So funny, when I heard the first messages I heard about Haiti, and I heard people sharing, I heard people talking, I didn't feel guilty. I said, I want to go. I want to go. I want to see this. You know, we're up in the mountains in this area, and we had a box. This is only my second trip. We had a box of New Testaments. Now, I don't know if you ever tried to pass out tracks here. You know what tracks are, right? I don't know what New Jersey. I, I'm not nothing against New Jersey, but <clears throat> I think y'all are worse than Calhoun, Georgia, just generally speaking as far as how friendly, because we say y'all, and y'all come back now, and sit a spell. We say a lot of nice things to people. But even in Calhoun, when I tried to pass out tracks, nobody wanted one. And this is when I was young and cute, not what I look like now. You thought, well, I wouldn't take a track from you either. I'm, I, I was cute when I was little. That's what we all say in Haiti. They always look at pictures of people. You were cute when you were little. So that's a little phrase we've got. It, it wasn't because of what I looked like. They just didn't want my tracks. Everybody's saturated. Everybody's busy. Nobody's got time. They probably thought I was trying to sell something. Nobody wanted my tracks. And I stood there all day in front of a shopping center, in front of a grocery store. And I tried to give tracks to people as they went by. We were having revival in our church. We want y'all to come out and worship with us. No thanks, no thanks. Some people just wouldn't even say something. You'd hold it out and they just bump you and go right on in. Someone just take it out of your hand. They wouldn't even slow down. Just take the track out of your hand, keep walking, throw it away. You go back over and pick it up and give it to somebody else that didn't see it on the ground. Well, that's what you'd call discouraging. And how many people did we bring in? How many people came to church? And I wasn't the only one. There was three or four of us out there passing out trash. And we weren't even a cult. We weren't going to have Kool-Aid. We were just little guys that were all excited about church. And y'all come out too. And nobody wanted our tracks. They were, they were nice little tracks. Every time they threw a track on the ground, it's like a piece of my heart. And one lady, I don't know what these people are thinking. They would say, say no thank you. One lady just took it and just kept walking. She got to a big garbage can and just poop. Well, I'm thinking of that. That was the last time I've ever passed out tracks in America. I don't mean it's wrong to pass out tracks, but it was discouraging to say the least. Well, we go to Haiti, and this is... A few years after that, we went to Haiti and we had this case with New Testaments in it. And it was just New Testaments in Creole. Nouveau Testament at Somio is what it was written on the top of it. New Testament in Creole. And we're way up in the mountains and there is no electricity. I thought everybody had electricity. Well, I knew, I've seen some things on TV, but I thought everybody in the world had electricity. And you know, most of the world doesn't. What we live, the lifestyle we live here is a tiny percentage of how the world lives. Well, even in Haiti, 15% of the country has electricity. Now, there's electricity in Haiti, but you don't have to go far and no mice. 
No more electricity. So we're way up here in the mountains. It's a long, nasty, bouncy ride. Uh, I mean, it's dusty. It's dirty. There's no water up there. Three days without a bath. Yeah. <laughs> That's when you, and, and just for the record, I do take baths every single day, even if I'm not dirty. That's when you find out what your team is made of, because there was, there was 14 of us, and we had the guys in one place and the girls in another place. The guys' place didn't smell too bad. What about the other place? But <laughs> so we're up there, and we're kind of dirty, but it's the most beautiful thing you've ever seen. You're up in the top of the mountains. There's stars. You feel like you're in a planetarium. You're looking up and seeing stars everywhere. No electricity, no TVs coming on, no stereos blasting, no boom boxes, no nothing. Back then, not even cell phones. They got cell phones now. But back then, no phones, nothing. So you're just up there, you and the stars. And I didn't know there were that many stars. I had no idea there was that many stars. I knew there was a bunch. But I had no idea there was that many. But it's so funny. Because in Haiti, when you start counting the stars, you go, no, don't do that. Why, why? If you count the stars, if you count them all, you'll die. I said, now wait a minute, I got the 20 and you messed me up. One, two, three. Don't stop it. Don't do that. I said, how you can't count the stars? No, one, two, oh, wait a minute, I counted that one a minute. Did I do that one already? One, two, and, and they're and like it's impossible. But here we are up in the middle, like a big planetarium. There's not only stars above, there's stars out to the sides of us. Because we're up in this high elevation. There's no electricity. The air is thin and clean. No cars, no vehicles, nothing to put out fumes, just us in the mountains. And it was in the middle of nowhere. And we had a box of New Testaments. Well, we waited till that night. And we're talking to some of the men. And it was really cool because cultures are different in different places. And they had this one big guy. He was a big guy. He was a little intimidating. He was getting food somewhere. But he was a nice guy. <laughs> he was a very nice guy. And he was one of the pastor's sons. And the main thing I remember about him is when sometimes when you just give out clothes, it's not the kind of clothes they're used to. They just look at stuff and don't always know what's for who. Is that a girl's clothes? Is that a guy? I don't know. It fits. I'm wearing it. And this guy had on this big fuzzy white thing on his head. It had these two strings with big poofy white balls. I, I'd seen little kids wear them when I was in school, like a little hood, but without the jacket. And it's like that fake fur, fake hair, and it was all white and fluffy and the two furry dingle balls on each side. And, yo, what's going on? <laughs> And, and I'm looking at him, and I'm looking at his little furry things there, and was, oh, these guys are standing around, and we're talking, and we asked them, and they knew how to read because there was a school happening there. And I asked them, do you know how to read? And they said, we? No, we can read. I said, we got some Bibles if you, if you want some. Bibles? New Testament? We got, and it was, it was a cheapo New Testament. I was embarrassed. I mean, I was glad I had the New Testament, but it was like newspaper paper. I mean, that's one of the things, you just hold it for an hour, it's going to start coming apart. But that's what we had. It's all we had. Well, we started to break out our New Testaments, and these men started jumping up and down, holding each other's hands and going, Hallelujah! They were so happy and so excited to be getting their very own personal copy of the New Testament. 
And I felt all at once, in that moment right there, I, I mean, I just wanted to walk away and go say, Lord, finish fixing me. I'm so far off track. I looked at, I thought my mind flashed back to trying to hand tracks to people and nobody wanted them. These guys are dancing, jumping up and down, acting like little kids, and the guy's little poofy dingleberries are going up and down, but he's excited to get a New Testament because they didn't have one. Nobody had one. The pastor had a Bible. Nobody else had one. I thought, Lord, what am I doing? Why? I'm in the wrong country. I'm in the wrong neighborhood. These guys were jumping up and down. We gave them all out. You know, you know what? Nobody said, no thanks. Man, you kidding? No thanks? There is no such word. No thanks? There's thanks. <laughs> you don't hear no thanks. Thanks, thanks, thanks. And we got those Bibles out. And one guy took his, and he just took off running. <laughs> they went down through the trail and disappeared. And we saw a candle come on in a hut. And it stayed on the whole rest of the night till we all went to bed. And I know what he was doing. He was in there reading his Bible. And we were standing outside a building and, and, uh, and uh, had a lantern inside and raised the light. We're shooting through the boards. And they were holding their Bibles up like this where they could see verses. And I thought about that. Lord, what do I do? I don't want to just see this and it be a happy experience. It rocked my world. It changed a lot of my thinking. There was a hunger and a thirst. I don't get that excited. I got Bibles going out my ears back at home. And these guys just got one little New Testament. Jeepers, I got concordances. I got Bible studies. I got commentaries. Nothing wrong with that. But I want to be as excited for my library as they are for their little New Testament. So I'm praying. I'm saying, God, why? How come they're so excited for that? This doesn't make sense to me. How can I have all that? And I'm happy. But I got books I can't even read. I'm going to tell you all something. Just, just between us, I've bought books and never read them. <laughs> it just feels good to have that book there. Somebody come over, oh, you got such? Oh, yeah, I got that book. I haven't read any of it. <laughs> but I like the author. I like buying books better than reading them. I like having them on the shelf. And I know other people like that. And they got books there. And these guys got a New Testament. And they're just jumping up and down for it. And why? Because our life is so full of other stuff. You know, it's a hard thing to bear. But Jesus said this. He said it's hard for rich people to get to heaven. Why? Because you're sinful. Because you got too much other stuff. There is too much stuff. You know one of the main reasons people don't think about missions? I don't even like to use the word missions. We got the word missions. If you look in your Bible, the only place you're going to find the word missionary is in the back where it says Paul's missionary journeys on the maps. That's where you find the term missionary. Because to me, being a missionary, in one sense, it may mean being sent out, but it also... All of us are missionaries where you're at. You should be living a life in such a way that draws people. But we can't because we're bound up. We have too much stuff. We have too many distractions. You know, Haiti, and I look at it, and I'm, don't, I'm, I'm an American. I'm not Haitian. I'm part Haitian now. They've awarded me some, some kind of a half-heart status. But in Haiti, just, you know, four weeks, five weeks ago, we passed a neighborhood and we have so many people wanting to come to church with us. And we only got two vehicles. And we already got a bunch of kids staying the weekend at the house with us. 
And I just went by on a Wednesday night, unannounced. We just dropped in. And you go to a place and there's nothing there. And within 10 minutes of you being there, there's a mob. I can't even get out of the car sometimes. And we just pulled up and and they start yelling. They start running. And all of a sudden, you know, you try to open the door and not smack anybody. And you have to be careful about that if you ever do come visit us. A lot of little kids aren't used to doors. And when you shut the door, (laughs) right, make sure all the fingers are out. Sometimes it doesn't hurt, but sometimes that one little girl one time was just standing there. I kept looking at her and said, your door is on my finger. Your door is on What? What? Tell me that. You know, all these kids come running over, and they're all walking with you, and they're going all down the road with you, and we saw all these kids and just popped in. We said, listen, we'll go, we're going to church Sunday morning. Um, we'll take 25 of you, and we talked to a couple of adults. You get 25. That's all we got room for. And, and they know us. Because usually if you say only 25, that doesn't mean anything. 100, 200, 250, doesn't matter. But I explained to them, we got two vehicles, that's all we got, and we already have a bunch of people with us. So 25 behaved kids. And I didn't see them again. You know, that was Wednesday night. Thursday goes by. Friday goes by. Saturday goes by. Well, it's Sunday morning, time for church. And I will tell you, I am thoroughly American when it comes to church time. I like it when church starts at 10. 11 o'clock's a little better. The earlier, the better. Or no, the earlier, the worse. And hey, there's churches that start at 6 and 7 in the morning on Sunday morning. I don't know why they do that. I have not been able to change that part of the culture. <laughs> Actually, I haven't changed a whole lot of the culture in anything. But at any rate, where this church was at 8. So I'm thinking, how many of these kids are going to get up Sunday morning? I said, we're not going to come looking for them. We're not going to come knocking on doors. We're just going to drive by and slow down. When we come down the street, and all y'all that are ready and managed to jump on, you can go. No more than 25 people. 25 people. So I'm thinking two, two, you know, four days later, they're going to have forgotten. Sunday morning, there they are, all lined up, ready to go. Every single one. 27. And the guy said, I know you said 25. I know you're really strict about it, but a couple of them are real little. I think we can hold them. And I said, all right. And there was 50 of us. In two vehicles. That's not even legal here. I'm not, we don't have a bus. No bus. A pickup truck and a car. And 50 of us went to church together. And I looked at the, that. That's a ripe harvest. That's a place where there's a harvest. I wish we had more people. I had this one guy used to make jokes. But it'd be, he said, man, you need a bus. I said, come drive one. Come drive a bus for us. You'd fill it every Sunday. And then we had a bike, and so all those kids often, they were so proud to go to church with us. It wasn't just because they're getting to be in a vehicle. They were proud to be at church. Most times parents, and we had some of the parents with them too, but as a general rule, a lot of them don't go to church. Well, another time we had a VBS. We expected to have about 100 kids. 200 first day. 200. And we had to say, don't bring your friends. <laughs> I'm serious. Do not bring your friends. Because we had crafts, but we didn't have crafts for 200. We had crafts for 100. Bring, don't bring your friends. If you bring your friends, we can't let them in. Well, you refuse. No, there we got lots of other things they can do. But just this VBS, we're trying to keep it down to 100. And we can't. It's 200. And they keep coming. And then three days in a row. And I look at that. That's what you call a ripe harvest. And I got some good friends, dear friends, in Georgia. And when they have VBS, they go all out. They got a big budget. They buy all kind of nifty posters and nifty things and nothing wrong with that. My point is, for all of that, 
for all the money spent, we'll come to your house. Please come to VBS. We'll come to your house. We'll give you shoes. We'll knock at your door, pick you up and carry you and put you on the van. Please come. Just begging people to come. And all you got to do when you go to a place like that, just say, all right, be ready Sunday. That's it. I'm out of here. And it just amazes me. And that church in Georgia there, they, they'll, they'll do all that, spend all that money, all that time, all that effort, and maybe 40 kids will come. And they're the worst, brattiest kids you ever saw. <laughs> I'm going to tell you another little secret, especially in America. Some parents, they're glad to get their kids out of the house. <laughs> and if you've got a bus ministry or a van and you come by to get them, they'll send them. <laughs> and let them be your problem for a couple of hours. Now, I'd take them anyway. They need some some love. They need some help because they're not getting in at home. But I'm just looking where there's a ripe harvest. And there's places all over the world that people are so much hungrier because they have so much less. How easy would it be for Jesus to walk in here today? Jesus just to walk in that door and say, pick out any of you. Just pick out five or six of you. Say, follow me. And you go. I've never seen anything like that. Jesus did it. Well, somebody said, well, I, well, I'm coming, but let me go back and I got a mom that's kind of sick. I got to take care of that, that doesn't work. That's mean. That's cruel. But that depends on your perspective. When the creator of the universe calls you, you don't say, hang on a minute. When the creator of the universe, and you know what? I think Jesus is merciful. I think if my mom was sick, he said, come, and I followed him, that he would take care of my mom. It would be taken care of. And don't get me wrong, I don't call you, don't, I don't like the way he said. No, I'm not calling anybody to go anywhere. It has to be the Lord that calls you to do it. But I'm saying if it is indeed the Lord calling you to do something, he knows your circumstances already. But most of us, most of us, not because of a sick mom's, because of our jobs, our bills, whatever. There's so many things that tie us up. We are not free to drop our nets and follow him. Wherever. And I don't just mean to other countries. Well, I don't ever want to go to another country. I didn't either. So if you don't really don't if you really don't want to go to another country, start wanting to go. And maybe you won't have to go. But if you really don't want to go, uh, if you if you say you don't want to go and you're not serious about it, you'll wind up there as, as sure as as sure as I'm standing here. I love ministering in America. We used to have jail ministry, we had prison ministry, we went to nursing homes, went to all these different places. I love there's a lot of lot to do here. But there's a whole lot of people here doing it too. Then you go to other places. You know how many churches we had to compete with when we went up in the mountains and gave out them Bibles? Zero. Church on every corner? No. There were several places. There's, to this day, several places we work. It's the only church in that community. The thing is, when God calls you, we don't have this problem in Haiti either. <laughs> oh, no, I'm not used to this uh, technology here. And they go to a place like that, and it's right. People want to hear people come running because they don't have all the entanglements that we have. And to me, missions is really more about breaking open, serving God. We have a lot of education, and we're like perpetual college students sometimes. We never graduate. We study to be a doctor, but we just learn and learn and learn and learn. And one of the things that's going to really make you learn is get out there and use it. You think you're a saint in your mind. You wouldn't ever tell anybody that, but you kind of, I'm doing pretty good. I'm, you know, there's people better than me, but I'm doing pretty good. Let you spend three days with guys that don't take a bath. And you'll start finding out how holy you are. There's a lot of little conditions that real quickly bring it all out. One guy, for a real perspective, 
he, uh, he was sitting in a restaurant in Port-au-Prince in the capital of Haiti. And they were eating in this little restaurant. And they saw, they saw some dogs outside. Now, if you never, most of y'all probably haven't been to Haiti. Haiti is where bad dogs go when they die. <laughs> These dogs, they're scary. They're just scary looking, some of them. I mean, their bones protruding. They're walking on three, and, you know, the back one's kind of kicking somehow. Tail's gone, eyeballs hanging down to here. I mean, nobody, people don't have pets. They have dogs, but they don't take care of them. So if you're an animal lover, you know, you may feel in ministry to go minister to the dogs. But, <laughs> but remember, they were bad or they wouldn't be there. <laughs> so these dogs just, everywhere you see them, they break your heart. It's heartbreaking. I saw a dog one time. We were just going by, boom, there's a bunch of traffic, but it's just flattened on the ground. Just, <laughs> I figured he's probably breathing his last. And I'm looking at the, I mean, just in, now cats don't suffer that much because they like cats. Put the right sauce on them. And <laughs> no, don't, don't go around and say everybody eats cats, but there are a lot of people that do, and they don't think it's weird. I talked to a little girl one time. She actually had a cat, and it got sick. And her parents ate it. And she was okay. She said, I didn't want to eat it because it was my cat. But it's okay that my parents ate it. So dogs have it really rough, though. Dogs have a long, drawn-out, miserable lifespan. So these guys went into this restaurant. They noticed some of these very type dogs outside the restaurant, hoping for some scraps. They went inside. They're sitting there eating. Well, they're full, and they still got food left over. And one of them said, hey, how about them dogs out there? Hey, man, we can give some scraps to those dogs out there. Is that cool or what? Yeah, but I don't think that waiter guy will like it. These are a little small kind of a restaurant, nothing big and fancy. So the waiter's gone. They're just kind of out there by themselves. All right, all right, man. This is it. They put all the scraps on the plate. They're watching. Coast is clear. Go. Go to the door. He opens the door to throw the bones out. When he opens the door, there was a little girl standing there. And there you go. There's the world changing moment. It's like I felt so sorry for those dogs. I didn't even see the people. And I read stories like Lazarus and the rich man. And I'm always thinking I'm Lazarus. And somebody else is Bill Gates is the rich man. And, and here I am with a plate full of scraps. And here's a little kid with her hands up. What should motivate us, though, is not guilt. The Christian response to this is not guilt. The Christian response is love. Why don't we love? I don't know why we don't love more than we do. I don't know why things don't break our hearts more than they do. I know we're busy. But I know God sees this every day. We went to an orphanage. One of the early first trips I was there, we were visiting an orphanage. And they brought these little kids in that had just come in. And they were sick. So we're down there and we're singing and we're having a good time with all the other kids and they're all happy. But we said, yeah, but what about those kids you said that just came in yesterday that were too sick to come down and sing with the other kids? We'd like to go, we'd like to go pray with them. So I'm ready. I don't care if it's malaria, tuberculosis, you know, the spirit of starvation. <laughs> Whatever it is, we're going to go up there and pray for it and rebuke it. So they said, oh, well, you can come up, but they can't. They're in their cribs. And, okay, no problem. And they weren't just babies. There was like, there was, I think there was three of them. And they were like in there from two to five years old. And they're all laying in their cribs. 
And so we went up these stairs and into this back room, and and we're gathered around. And we're all we're you know, <laughs> you know how you go in. And there's nothing wrong with that. I do it. I don't even think about it. But when you're getting ready to pray and just do that, start rocking because you're getting ready to go. You're getting ready to let loose a prayer. And I'm ready to pray for these kids, and we're going to pray. And we said, now, what's wrong with these children? Before we pray, we don't know what we're praying. What's wrong with them? He said, well, basically, they just haven't had any food for, for several days. They were abandoned. They haven't eaten anything. And I said, wait a minute. That's not a disease. They just haven't had food. And I felt kind of weird asking God to come down from heaven and put food in their mouths when I'm standing right here. You know, we don't say... Uh, we don't have a problem. We, we all know better than to say, Lord, would you, Lord, tie my shoe. We used to do a skit. It was really funny. Uh, where I'm driving down the road and I had a flat tire and just got out. I rebuke this tire in the name of Jesus. You fell back up with air. And how many of you know you're going to stand there doing, you can rebuke it all day long, but I guarantee you, God's not sending angels to change that tire unless you are really. Seriously, physically unable. You're going to change that tire or you're going to leave your car there. And a lot of times we ask God to do things that we're supposed to be doing, that we're here to be doing. I don't need a miracle. It doesn't. The only miracle that needs to happen for these hungry children to eat is me to start caring enough to do something. Not just enough to go, oh, those poor little kids. We saw the most sad little kids. Oh, what's on TV tonight? Oh, that, I love that show. Have you, watched, have you ever watched TV here? I can't watch it anymore. Not, I'm not talking about the immorality. That's enough. But I'm talking about the advertisements. You don't, you can't, I forget what show I'm watching. There's, there's, I don't know what y'all do in New Jersey, but if, in, in Georgia, you're watching a show. You might have been watching Monk. And all of a sudden, they break for advertisements. You're going, wow, wow, you're just in an ocean of advertisements. And the program gets to the point, it's literally half advertisements. You're constantly being barraged and sucked in and pulled in all directions. And we have a hard time even when you hear something. We just don't have time to care. One of the main reasons people don't want to get involved with these kind of things is they feel like they can't do anything. That's a le- it's not really legitimate, but it sounds legitimate. What can I do? What am I going to do? Why should, what in the world is going to give me the, the, the certification to spend 20 years in Haiti? What do you know? Well, what do you know how to do, Ed? Let's talk real life here. <clears throat> well, I can count to 11 without taking my shoes off. I've got 10 fingers, and I know the next one's 11. I graduated high school. And, and what kind of special training did, did you have to, to, to do this? Life. Life. I'm not saying it's wrong to, to go get education stuff. All I'm saying is when you think you don't have qualifications, you're wrong. No, you're right. You don't. But what about God in you? Then what are the limits? Nothing. Sometimes I look at myself in Haiti. Anybody here ever see a program called Gilligan's Island? Yeah, see, I'm in America. That would mean nothing in Haiti. Here I can say Gilligan's Island. You know who I'm talking about. Well, one time Gilligan was flying. He was up in the air flying, flapping his arms, flying. And, and the skipper said, Gilligan, what are you doing up there? He said, I'm flying. He said, you can't fly. He said, I can't. And he fell. I know it's pretty sad to, to be able to find anything redeeming out of Gilligan's Island besides mindless fluff. But 
I feel that way sometimes. I look at Haiti. I go, Ed, what do you do? You can't do this. You can't speak Creole. You can't learn Spanish. You're going to Honduras. You're trying to learn. You can't speak. You, you can't. You can't speak Spanish. We're working with a, a deaf school now in Haiti. Ed, you can't learn sign language. And all these you can'ts, but we're doing it anyway. Because I'm not dwelling on what I can and can't do. I'm saying, Lord, I want to do this. And what's the driving force? Because I love Haiti so much? No. Because I just love excitement and missions? No. Has nothing to do with it. Zero, zero, zero. What this is all about for me is getting closer to Jesus. I want to know the Jesus in this Bible. I don't just want to say a prayer, repeat a prayer, bow my head, repeat a prayer, and it's a done deal. I want to know him. Paul said, I press on toward the mark. The apostle Paul wasn't finished getting to know him. I want more of this Jesus. And when I do what he's calling me to do, I find more. I find Jesus in ways out there that I never see in my comfort zone. I have seen so many awesome things. And you know what the biggest thing of all? I haven't, I haven't done any. Well, we've prayed for people and we've seen some pretty miraculous type stuff, but nothing that would make the newspapers. I haven't raised any dead bodies. You say, well, I don't know how to raise dead people. What am I going to do? You know what? That every person, there's something every single person in this room has. Everybody. And it is the most powerful and the most important thing. Love. You have love. You have compassion. And you connect that with the Lord and the limits are off. The limits are gone. Real love. That's what's lacking. There is less love than there are guitar players. There's less love than there is finances. There is less love even than people that are already going. The lacking thing is real, true, genuine love and compassion. And when that's going, that's what's going to motivate you. If somebody says, okay, if, no, if the Lord said, come back from Haiti, it, it'd be a fight. People say, I don't know how you do it. I couldn't go there. I'm just like, I couldn't not go there. You, want, you look at me and you think, well, he's kind of weird. He's, you know, weird people do weird things. Everybody's going to be weird when you get hooked up with the Lord, right? You're going to be weird because people are going to wonder why in the world you left a comfortable life here and went, even if it was just for a week. What can you do in a week? Well, I don't want to go on a mission trip. I can't do anything. I can't speak the language. I don't speak Spanish. I don't. I know a few words, but I don't know much. I speak it a little... But I have a massive love that God has given me. And there's a school I went to. And I've been there maybe three times at this point. At the, I've been there more since then. But at that point, I've been there three times. And I, can't, I have all these kids running out there, and, and they're all yelling their names to me. And they're just thrilled because I care what their name is. If you could learn, if you can't learn easy, write it down. Como se llama usted? Or como se llama? Write that down and just read it to kids. <clears throat> anyway. Como se llama? And they'll tell you their name. That's how I got going to Honduras. I wasn't planning to go to Honduras. We're busy enough in Haiti. I didn't need to add anything else. I just went to visit some friends of mine there that were missionaries that I was a mentor for. Went and stayed with them. And I got hooked. Not on them. I'm not even doing what they do. I just got hooked on these kids. Because we went to this little place where they keep all these kids that don't have dads. They keep them all day long. And they, and they have about 100 kids in there. And they're all little tiny kids. And the dads, nobody, none of them have dads. The mom's out working all day, so they keep the kids in this place so that the moms can go try to make a living during the day. And I went into this place, and we were having some adult conversation, and I was getting bored. And so I thought, well, 
Let's go try to talk to these kids. They're not like the Haitian kids. I go to Haiti. They all know me. They all come running up. And they're hugging you. They're fighting and pushing. They're fighting. They split your fingers. One hand holding these two. One hand holding these two. Another hand on your thumb. And I'm, to me, I sometimes, I feel like one of those Macy blimps, you know. The parade, what do you call them? Blimps? They're not blimps. What are they called? Floats. There you go. And I almost do float sometimes. Not for long, though. You gotta, don't let them get you off the ground. You'll, they'll drop you. And I went to these kids, and they don't know who I am. And I went up to one of them, and I just looked at them. They were all just kind of sitting on the ground, playing with stuff. They're all in this big play area. And I just looked at one, they're just kind of looking at me, and they look back at their toys. And then I looked at this one little boy, and I said, ¿Cómo se llama usted? I find out that's pretty formal for a kid. So if you know Spanish, <clears throat> but, I'm, but, but that's even a greater testimony. Because it probably sounds funny. But yes, young man, what is your name? But, <laughs> I mean, you don't tell little kids instead, apparently. But it didn't matter. He felt what I was trying to communicate. I said, ¿Cómo se llama usted? He came up and said, Alejandro. I said, Alejandro, like that. And that, the whole place broke loose. And all the kids come over, me llamo, me llamo, me llamo. And they all want me to know their name. All these kids, me llamo, me llamo, me llamo. And you know what I saw? I saw a bunch of little kids going, see me, see me, see me, care about me, see me. I don't know how many kids I've had. Haiti, Honduras, wherever. Dominican, get up and, I want you to be my father. It's not because I'm so wonderful. The more that I do, the more I can say you can do it. Because I have no qualifications for this, except that I do care. There is love, and it's even still being growing. It's growing. So I encourage you, cut that love loose. Well, I went to the school. I was there like three times at that point. And again, not speaking Spanish. I took some pictures. I always take them pictures when I go back and visit them. And this school was barefoot. None of the kids had shoes on. And uh, I went back and the teacher said, it had been a year. The teacher said uh, they did an assignment. They said all the kids had to write a letter for their writing class. They were learning to write. They had to write a letter for an imaginary friend. Had to be a friend. She said, every one of them picked me. That's not, don't take that as pride. It's not. It made me cry when I heard it. But I think that's what one week of love did. Visit them in that one week. Let God work. So I'm going to close right there. I would say one last thing. Jesus was moved by his compassion for the multitude. He said, the harvest is ripe. See, people will respond. They won't always respond to my tracks or whatever. But most people will respond to real compassion. And that's how we let the world know. Jesus said, that's how they'll know you're Christians, that you have love for one for another. And I look at, there's so many different denominations. There's so many different churches, so many different groups. Some of them are so far out, we call them cults. But there's one thing that would really make us stand out that would be better than just saying we believe the right stuff. That would be that we do the right stuff, that we have real love, real compassion. I was watching a video, and a guy said, there was a guy out preaching on the street, and he was just telling everybody they were going to hell. Literally, repent, repent, repent. You're going to hell, to hell, to hell. And he's yelling, screaming at all these people. And a guy came up and talked to him, tried to say something to him real calmly. And he's yelling through his megaphone and, and yelling at the guy, you're going to hell, you're a sinner, you're lost. You, need to, you want to know God, you need to say the King James Bible in 1611. And he'd go off on a big roll. Just yell at the guy. The guy kept trying to talk to him. He said, I don't want to talk to you. He said, I'm preaching. I don't, I don't want to talk to you. Or, I don't want to talk to you. I'm preaching. 
I thought it was a great message right there. I don't want to talk to you. I'm preaching. I don't want to talk to you. I'm preaching. So I appreciate you guys letting me be here. I am bringing it in for a landing. Uh, I invite you to come. Anybody wants to come. Uh, it's not just about Haiti. This is not just matter. Well, I don't think I'm called to be That's fine. But there's a lot of work to do here. And God loves souls everywhere. And that's on his mind today, I guarantee you. He loves us to be here, but he'd like to see us bring more right here to church here, right here in this community, all over the world. He doesn't have the boundaries like we do. So just pray, Lord, really, really, let my love, the first thing to pray for is real love. Not where do you want me to go, but a love that will drive you, that he can work through in you. He'll show you where to go. And then you won't just be preaching. You'll be talking to people and loving people. Amen. Thank you.